building your dream, work-life balance, scaling up, discussing the topics that matter most to entrepreneurs. He's Rivers Corbett on the Startup Canada podcast. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast, a show serving Canada's entrepreneurship community. On this show, we connect you with the most innovative and entrepreneurial movers, shakers, and change makers across Canada. With day-in-the-life stories and in-their-shoes experiences, we dive into the true grit of running startup and scale-up companies and those driving the entrepreneurial movement. The Startup Canada podcast show is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. If you are a regular show listener, welcome back. If you're new to the program, hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and Google Play Music and visit startupcan.ca to connect with both your local startup community and to join Startup Canada to access training, resources, and a peer network to grow your success. I'm Rivers Corbett and entrepreneurship is part of my DNA. Whether it's building my own companies or helping other entrepreneurs build theirs, this is my lane. Want to connect after the podcast? You can find me at www.meetrivers.com. It's an awesome day on the Startup Canada podcast show. Excited to have people in from coast to coast. And uh, we're ready to get this one started. We're so thrilled to have Emily Smith on our show today. Emily is the CEO of No Campfire Required, which is a Toronto-based arts meets science and geeks meet augmented reality of company. The No Campfire Required launched in 2014 and has since been crafting interactive social experiences using their most popular product, Passport AR, which Emily says is a customizable Pokemon Go. Love it. As the personality behind No Campfire Required, she connects with brands, tourism destinations, and festivals to promote its products. Emily is a lifetime lover of storytelling. Her interest in immersive and interactive experiences coupled with a knack for tech drove her to become a leading woman woman in the AR industry. Emily has also worked at the International Olympic Committee and lived abroad in Switzerland for over a decade. She's relocated to Toronto where she continues to make waves and speaks at various events like OMDC's Digital Dialogue Conference. I love saying OMDZ's Digital Dialogue Conference and the OCE Discovery Conference. Very cool. Emily will tell us in today's podcast how she's enriching the audience experience and the exciting podcast possibilities that lie ahead. Emily, so great to have you on the Startup Canada podcast show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, well, let's get into it right away. Um, what are you hoping that our listeners are going to going to walk away from at the end of this epic conversation? So I'm hoping that listeners will understand more about what is augmented reality and then uh-huh. also how it can be used to create some really awesome experiences for people beyond just that initial, oh, that's so cool moment, but also uh-huh. um, for, for more long-term goals for companies, for example. And what are some? What would be some long-term goals that, uh, that that a couple of your favorite companies are really focused in on right now? And one thing I, I love about what you're saying is you're not there for the short fix. You're really there for uh, with your what you're doing with your business and with AR for a strategic partnership. 
Well, yeah, that's exactly it. So um, one thing that's really important in marketing these days is data. And we have an Uh ability, once we create an experience, um, whether it lasts for an hour at a music festival or whether it's something that lasts for a week or a couple of weeks all around the city of Toronto, we can pull some pretty substantial data from that and companies can use it to level up their customer experience and uh, towards some more long-term goals and getting to know their customers. Mm, love it, love it, love it. Well, let's dive right into no campfire required. Um, the first thing I got to ask, because and it's, I, I love it when people zag instead of just the plain old, we'll do it like everybody else. Ladies and gentlemen, no campfire required has not a capital letter in its title. <laughs> and, and so I want to know first, uh, why did you choose that route with no campfire required name spelling? So it was kind of it, it was about the asterisk more than anything else. I okay. think yep. it was it was a, it starts with an asterisk, and right. the asterisk is that little thing that makes us a little bit different from everyone else. Also, um, I will tell you, it makes us at the beginning of the alphabet in alphabetical listings, <laughs> yeah, love which it. can make it extremely useful from time to time. Um, but we went without capitals just to be a little different and to to graphically. Uh, catch catch some people's attention. Yeah, love it. Well, you know, I, I remember reading the Steve Jobs book. Uh, and there's a few of them out there, but one of them was is that uh, they chose small letters to uh, put in their titles because of uh, one, they regarded them as being important, but they uh, they just weren't the you know a CEO capital letters just didn't give a, a prominence that he was better than anybody else. So I love I love yeah. that purpose went into what it is that you're doing. I think that's very very cool. So what does no campfire uh, uh, do? No campfire required do sorry asterisks no campfire required do <laughs> and uh you know what uh, why did you start the company what was the impetus to, to start it so we're an experience company and what we mean by that is we leverage the latest tech to create amazing shared story experiences for our clients customers our clients are business so retail or events for example and then uh, these experiences help help to collect data and it helps level up their communications or it helps also to create intellectual property so it becomes an investment in the long term and we got started doing this over a number of years our two original founders which is myself and my business partner Cam Gauthier Mm -hmm. uh, we kept ending up in a corner at dinner parties so I lived in Switzerland (laughs) for about 10 years and so I'd come home once or twice a year and I'd always see Cam and his wife who actually uh in my first year of university, she lived down the hall in uh, residence. So that's yeah, go that's, figure, right? You never yeah. know. You you're never gonna know, meet. right? Yeah. So we kept Cam and I kept ending up in a corner at dinner parties. Both of us worked in marketing and communications, and both of us really admired the storytelling possibilities that we can see happening around us. But it's sometimes frustrating working for a larger corporation because they they often aren't able to take on the constant change, constantly learning new technology that's required to reach a younger audience. Mm. 
So for us, um, we, we were constantly questioning, you know, if I was in charge, what would we, what would I do differently? And Kim and I got into a lot of those chats. So when I moved home from Switzerland, um, we knew from the beginning, we, we could tell great stories. Mm -hmm. Uh, we knew we wanted to tell stories where the audience would experience them more directly, really to, so that the audience would feel like they were part of things rather than just being on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was really something I wanted to help create. I had a sort of a transformative experience. Um, I had a trip to New York a few years ago and I saw, have you come across this show called Sleep No More by uh, Punch Drunk Theater Company? No, I haven't. Tell me about it. So it's immersive theater where you get a ticket, you're admitted to a warehouse at a certain time of night, you sign up for 8 p.m. or 8.30 or 9 o'clock and you go in and it's a jazz bar. Uh, but when you go in, you get uh, you get a card, like a playing card. You get, say, my friend and I got a seven and an eight. So you're sitting in the bar listening to the music. And then every so often they come in and they call. OK, everyone with a six, come with me now. Everyone with a seven, come <laughs> with me now. And so my friend and I got called into the elevator at the same time. Yes. But then what happened was we got to a certain floor and they said, OK, all the sevens, get out. So you lose your people immediately. <laughs> and then you, when you get out, you find yourself wandering around this warehouse and you're exploring what turns out to be some sort of institution. And then uh, the people, uh, the actors run into the, and do their scene in front of you and then run away again. Wow. And so that, that experience really blew my mind. And I wanted to be part of creating something amazing like that. Yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. I love it. And it was, was Cam with you at the time? Cam was not with me at this show. Um, Cam's sort of moment of, moment of amazingness came when we took a course from someone who is still our company mentor. Jeff Gomez is a, uh, he actually has a, an article in Forbes this week. He is sort sort of the godfather of transmedia storytelling, and okay. that that means telling stories across multiple platforms. So if you think mm -hmm. of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for example, some kids first read a comic book about Spider Man. Mm. Some people first see the movies about all the Avengers, and they mm. sort of get into this universe from different ways. Mm. Um, we took a, a master class in transmedia storytelling from Jeff very early on. And Cam says that was his moment of, I want to do that. <laughs> nice. nice. I got to ask you this question, Emily, from the, uh, the time when you two started to corner each other in the, at the dining, at the dining, um, uh, dining in people's houses and so on. From the time you started having those conversations to the time you started, uh, um, uh, when you started your company, how many, how long was that? Um, it must have been at least four or five years, I think. Nice. Nice. Uh. Yeah. Well, like, the reason I say that is that, um, you know, you see so many startups uh, now just have an idea and they just run into, uh, into doing it. And what I love about your story was the, uh, was it one, a reinforcement of a, of a connection with somebody who you wanted to do business with, uh, and two, someone that was really connecting on a passionate level for what it is that you wanted to do. And you just kept this dialogue going and nurturing this opportunity. So when you were ready to go, you were 
were ready to go psychologically anyway, not necessarily from a business perspective, but you were committed to being on that journey because of that investment in conversation and, and so on. So I, uh, that's awesome that it was, that it was four to five years. And was that the reason you came back from Switzerland is to, uh, is to start no campfire required? It was, it was primary, my primary reason for coming back for sure. I found mm. my, my job ended at the IOC and then, uh, I found myself really having a little bit of time to think about what I'd like to do next. And, yes. uh, that, that was it. And when I came home, cool. it, it wasn't much longer before we founded the company and, and really got going. Well, we're going to continue to talk about uh, about uh, asterisks, no campfire required. I want to make sure I do. And before I forget, by the way, what is the URL? How do people find you on, on the internet? So we're at nocampfirerequired.com. They don't allow you to do asterisks, no campfire required? Not yet, anyway. <laughs> they, they, when they're ready to, you're going to own it for sure. I just, you know, I always think it's so important for for uh, our get our our sorry our our listeners to be able to follow up and learn more about these great conversations. So thank you for that. But we're going to switch right into the IOC right now. But regard, in other words, the International Olympic Committee. You had a long career there. Uh, it's these these life experiences are so interesting to me. Uh, one, can you tell us about that experience? And two, what was uh you know the one of the oh my gosh am i ever glad that i did that because out of that i became this i started to think like this it taught me this uh, that one of those special moments that uh, are special connections to the ioc that uh, you'll hold for the rest of your life Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, I started out uh, at the IOC. I was an assistant to two lawyers. Um, one was a specialist in intellectual property and the other one took care of the IOC's broadcast agreements. Okay. So every time you'll, you'll remember uh, from the games last summer uh, in Rio that the CBC currently broadcasts the games here in Canada. Mm-hmm. So each time they sign an agreement uh, for two games, one winter, one summer. Um, and uh, so I started out uh, learning about the broadcast agreements from that lawyer. And then I moved to the marketing team after a couple of years. Uh-huh. And my job became something pretty amazing. I I made the first commercial program for Olympic broadcasters, which meant um, making contact with the marketing and the sales teams at the broadcast partners across the world. Wow. Making sure they knew the guidelines that the IOC had and then making sure they got all their assets and then approving their use of the IOC's brand, which was pretty key. I mean, those those Olympic rings are one of the best known brands in the world, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. So what was the, what was the, uh, was there, what, what, that experience that you walked away? Let's, let's bridge it to no campfire required. What did you learn at the IOC that you were able to bridge into uh, building no campfire required? So I learned a lot about audience. Um, okay. In working with the broadcasters, I, I learned what it is to get to know your your own audience and concentrate on reaching your own audience. Mm. Because, because I was working with, say, 200 broadcasters, um, each, of, each of the broadcasters had one product to sell, which is 17 days of games, right? Yes, yes. And 200 broadcasters really used all their best storytellers, all the technology they had at their disposal to reach out and encourage their own audience. And they did so in really a million different ways. So I I learned about 
finding your audience and uh, creating something that speaks to the people you want to speak to. And so I was really able to translate translate that well into founding our company and um, in the stories that we create today, because the first question we always ask is, okay, who's your audience? Who are you mm-hmm. trying to reach? Mm, mm, love it. So um, tell me, who was your favorite broadcasting organization to work with? And I'll exclude the CBC from this conversation. So, outside of Canada. <laughs> outside of Canada, yeah. Because, of course, we're going to be a little biased in that process. And, and uh, But uh, seriously, who was, who was the, the, mo- the, the most wonderful to work with that you look forward to? Um, I really looked forward to Foxtel in Australia. Um, They had a really a specific challenge and they had a really interesting approach to their audience. So I I remember uh, specifically some ads they created for the games in Vancouver. Uh, One of the challenges that they have is that Australians don't know a lot about winter sport. So they created this series of cartoons, which were, I think they were a minute long, uh, which were basically everything you need to know about luge, everything you need to know about (laughs) pulling. And they had a a million little rules and they really did it in just a hilarious way Yes, that a lot of, a lot of other broadcasters don't always do because the, the IOC or the Olympic games tend to be more of a serious patriotic sort of experience in general. Right. So I right. particularly remember those cartoons and, and they still make me laugh. I still go look at them every once in a while. <laughs> Do you still stay in contact with any of the, uh, the people that you've, that you worked with at the, uh, outside, I'll not say inside the IOC, but those broadcasters. Yeah, I do. I, I, I'm lucky to still have quite a number of, of good contacts and people I used to work with. And actually I, I gained a business partner that way. My, ah, my, third, yeah. my third business partner is from Brazil and right. uh, he came to Canada uh, two years ago now. And right. when he did, um, he looked at his LinkedIn connections and he was set up <laughs> some meetings with people who he knew. And he used to do some work for a broadcaster called Terra in Brazil, who was right. one of my clients. And so we had lunch and we hit it off and yeah, two years later, he's my business partner. <laughs> that is cool. And how do you decide, um, uh, for everybody here, I'm always interested in the, the decision-making process or the discovery process that people go through to invite and then ultimately accept people to be their business partners. Cause it really is a marriage. I mean, that's, you're not, they're talking long-term here. It isn't a business partner for, for a week. It's business partner for the life of the business anyway. So how did, what was the process that you went through and, 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 and qualifying your, your newest business partner? It, I think for us, it was about time and trust. And, mm-hmm. uh, we, we had to work together for a while, for a few months, and really decide that we could communicate well, that we were working towards similar goals and we wanted similar things from a company. Right. And then I think it just it took us time to learn to trust each other. Uh, um, sometimes in large corporations, it can feel like there are people working at odds with other people, uh, but in a very small organization, trust right. is key. And uh, we laugh every once in a while because um, our general policy in the company is TMI, too much information. <laughs> 
because we we made a specific decision that we would rather know everything that's going on in someone's head rather than missing out on some on on any communication or having people working in different directions and right. sometimes it can be a little hilarious but it's worked really well so far. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, so I, I'm interested in, I mean, you've really talked about opposites attracting technology and the arts. Um, and it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like bringing an engineer into the business world and vice versa. How do you, how does, how do you build a company that, that needs to bring these together in a, in a you know, hybrid situation that, um, you know, is it difficult from an operations perspective? I wouldn't imagine so because of the fact you're in control of building your team. But when it comes to bringing that value proposition and the opportunity to new clients, um, is there a challenge there that you run into? And if so, how do you deal with it? Definitely a challenge. Um, <laughs> definitely. I mean, there's a big pause there as you, yeah. as you kind of heaved. Oh yeah. It's a challenge. <laughs> love it. Love it. Um, so how I, do you deal with it? Sorry to interrupt. Okay. I mean, arts and technology speak very different languages to begin mm -hmm. with. So sometimes when we start a new project, we actually find ourselves sitting down to agree on the language we'll use before we even begin. Right. Uh, for example, <laughs> with augmented reality, uh, sometimes you have a trigger. We talk about a trigger and that can mean either of the thing the phone is pointed at before it has a reaction or the thing that happens inside the phone when you point it at the other thing. So we have mm. to often agree, okay, when I say this word, this is what I mean in the conversation we're having. And yeah, we, we find ourselves doing more that more often than I than I would have initially thought, for sure. Yeah, it's it's funny, isn't it? We we always expect sometimes our clients or audience, whatever, is is naturally going to know what it is that we know uh, because yeah. we know it. So therefore, it's it's pretty easy to understand. But of course, we spend so much time with it that we forget that it's just easy for us, and we need to address it for them. So you, you yeah. talked about you talked about customizable Pokemon Go. Now I know what. Pokemon Go is, but can you kind of expand on that, what you mean by customizable Pokemon Go? And uh, I think I got a sense of what it is. It's very audience, audience specific and so on, but uh, what does that mean to you? So for us, um, thank you to Niantic because it helps, <laughs> it helped our lives immensely when we could begin explaining what we do as customizable right. Pokemon Go. Yes. And, but the reason we do that is because we create an experience that a given audience navigates with their phones. It's in a limited location. Uh, we can create something for a music festival, for example, that if the music festival is in a field, the, the game or the experience will, will just be inside that field. Yes. And we will have people going from place to place following a story and they, they will be a character in the story or they'll be helping out a character in the story to accomplish a goal. Wow. Uh, yeah. So, so when you talk about the story, 
work me through work me through how the story is developed and ultimately uh, you know as a team did, are you like for example are you the story writer and then you hand it off to cam to execute the story how does that how does that whole process work so we will we will start by sitting down uh, with a client to understand what their goals are, whether they uh-huh. want to create. Um, if it's a music festival, they might just want an hour for the audience to do something fun in between the bands that they yes. came to see. Yes. Or if it's a destination like Wonderland or somewhere that people come back to multiple times, it might be that they want to create um, sort of more of a, a story world and they want to have people come back and play or have different experiences again and again and again over the summer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, in terms of process, it tends to start with creative. Um, we'll sit down with the company and figure out what they want to do. Uh, Cam, Cam, my business partner, is our storyteller. He will create something and make sure with my Brazilian business partner that um, it's feasible in terms of development. Um, and then we'll take it from there. Biz- sort of, the three of us are pretty complementary in sure in uh, creative and business and development areas. So. Yes. That that is the advantage of a small team where it's it's relatively clear who who does what and who's responsible for what. Do you ever do you ever have the conversation, Emily? What happens if Emily gets hurt and can't <laughs> perform for six weeks? Do you ever have that? And if you do, what's kind of the output from that type of conversation as you prepare for it? And I know you've thought you guys have talked about it. Definitely, we've talked about <laughs> it. It's. Uh, it's a constant challenge with a small mm. team. I mean, we can take measures like making sure all the information is readily available to the right people. So no one's going to be without plans, without written documentation of the next steps in the process for a client. Right. Um, we have, uh, we use Slack for communication. So uh, every, everybody's pretty much always on Slack. Cool. I feel like even if I was in a hospital bed, I'd have, <laughs> you know, I'd have my broken legs propped up, but I'd yeah, still be No doubt in my mind. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so what you do is you, you minimize the risk as much as you can. And I think it's yeah. really cool. That's why the TMI uh, kind of model, and I was interested, you've had that dialogue and, I, and kudos to you guys to have that because uh, you've got to, you've got to plan for uh, the crisis situation. And of course that one where you're in your, your, you don't have a backup quarterback necessarily at this point in yeah. uh, in the development of your business and that's fine too but the fact that you're talking about it is is really really cool um let's uh let's get into let's get into your biggest challenge today or actually no before we do that I want to talk about what was what's the what's the customer experience that you walked away from and you said oh my gosh guys it's going to be hard to beat that one can you give us a little bit about the uh, and it doesn't need to be the you know the most the best one you've ever but I, I want to get a senses to the experience that you developed for a client that that you just went oh man out of the park oh i have one coming up that i can't wait <laughs> <laughs> and you don't have to name names if you could just kind of give us a high level view of it in in a way that uh, again we can get excited for you as to the next stage that you're going to sure um we are 
um, developing what will be a sci-fi story. Yes. It will include time travel. Oh, right on. <laughs> Very it's, cool. It will last um, about four weeks in the city of Toronto, and we are we are figuring out the game mechanics right now. We are matching <laughs> the beginnings of the story with how people can navigate it most easily on their phones and what is most likely to be the most fun for the audience we have in mind. Have you uh, – I love it. I mean, I'm a big time travel fan. That and flying are two things that I really want to experience at some point in time. Um, have you heard of the Fireside Conference? I have. Yeah. I want to introduce yeah. you to those guys because I think what it is that you're doing would really uh, be a value to to them and to their audience. But, of course, uh, also uh, expose you to some interesting more cre creation of some more experiences. So uh, we'll make sure that uh, we get you a connection to Daniel. He's, he's He and his team are doing some great work there. But this the first thing that went through my head is experiential, that this is a closed environment over a weekend type of thing. and. That's why I love yeah. that the, the, it just goes on and on. So very cool stuff. So let's talk about your biggest challenge to date uh, that, uh, that, that, that is a challenge that, Emily, that, you know, that cash flow, everybody has that challenge. Uh, you know, give us a challenge that you would say, oh, my gosh, I don't think anybody's ever experienced this challenge. And it can be specific to, uh, obviously, your, your, the, 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 the uniqueness of your, of your business. Um, hmm. I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I want to say, uh, time and, and trust. I'm not sure it's necessarily unique to our business though. Right. Okay. Well, that's fine. The trust factor is a very cool thing that you referenced. So yeah, let's talk about time and trust. Sure. I, uh, in terms of time, um, for us to get to this point, it took quite a bit longer than we originally anticipated. <laughs> um, we did, uh, we did pivot from our original idea. Right. Um, but what really helped us is we were very clear on who our customers were from pretty early on. And we'd already started finding, um, and creating a community to reach out to, to test things with, um, to to really have good communication with, to understand and get an outside opinion on whether we were going right or wrong. And that's, I, I don't think we've talked about it yet, but we have a mm. geek community in the city. Okay. And uh, we talk... It's it's the destination for those geeky little events that you'd never otherwise find. <laughs> Things like Star Trek improv and that ah, kind of thing. So yeah. what's yeah. amazing about geeks is they'll give you fantastic feedback, right? When no matter what you do, um, no one is shy to say this was amazing, this yes. was terrible, and yes. there's nothing more valuable than that. If you have people who are your potential customers saying this is terrible, if you uh -huh. can listen and make a change, it's amazing. Yeah, I love it. But yeah. what, what what I I do love it. I think it's very very cool that you're you know when the days when I was growing up, it was nerds, and you didn't nobody really wanted to be a nerd. But now everybody wants to be a geek because of all the fun and fun activity that happens around being a geek. Was like, I wish I could be a geek and be invited to all this stuff. <laughs> I think it's wonder. It's talk about redemption. It's absolutely wonderful. Absolutely <laughs> wonderful. You know, um, I I got to share with you. Uh, 
uh, a conversation I had with uh, with another storyteller recently, and it might help you with your uh, as part of what you do with your business. But what this person does is they they don't say when they meet somebody they don't say what do you do they say what's your story and i thought oh, what nice. an interest yeah isn't that nice and and out of that comes this deeper more engaged conversation than simply you know i'm an accountant or i'm a lawyer or, or whatever and so as you look for stories to ultimately begin to utilize or look for business opportunities uh, i'm i'm just thinking of that conversation as as i'm looking to what you guys are doing with your business so uh, i know that's what i'm going to start to do now is just to, to have those more engaged conversation. Tell me your story. What's, what's your story? So Emily, this is, uh, this has just been a wonderful conversation and I, uh, I, I'm so excited about having it first of all, but second of all, so excited. Now I know about you guys and the rest of the country knows about you guys to, to really experience something that's a, that's a no campfire required production. But before we leave, can you, can you give us a, you know, um, a pretend, that you can never, ever, ever again give this advice to an entrepreneur and you have to give them one book that they have to pick to read to to help them be successful. What was that book going to be? Um... Hmm. That's a, that's a difficult one. Because you because you think that I'm that's really going to happen that you're never going to be able to give advice again on the book. It's funny how our psyche goes, doesn't it? Oh my gosh, if I get it wrong, I'll never be able to say in the my second choice. <laughs> so just Pogo, just uh, I'll, I'll tell you what it'll be a t- for the next twenty four hours. That's uh, we'll say. I, I really think that's interesting. How people pause and they that the uh, oh my gosh, I got to get it right. But uh, what book would you? What book do you? Have you enjoyed reading in the past that a business book that would be re- relevant to, to entrepreneurs that you think is an, 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 a must must read on their journey? Um, well, I, I think I, I can say one that I'm looking forward to reading. Okay. And the reason for that is it's uh, it's an author who I follow on social media very, very closely. Right. So um, it's, he's called Joe Pine and so Pine. he wrote P- about P- the P-I-N-E. P-I-N-E. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, he wrote about the experience economy way back in 1998, and that mm. is about um, people who are millennials and younger now not wanting to spend their money on houses and cars and physical stuff nearly as much as they did in the past, right. and wanting to instead ha- go out for an evening and have a really fun experience, yes. Um, yes. do something that they can share with their friends and do something that um, that they can share with Instagram, of course. Uh-huh. And I think that is a trend that I see just rising and rising over the last couple of years. Um, so I've read I've read some of his articles on social, and uh, I'm looking forward to reading that book. So I think it, that would be something important for for new businesses to read as well, especially if they're looking at a millennial audience. Well, interesting you say that. On the other side of the spectrum, from a baby boomer perspective, of course, you're seeing a lot of downsizing happening, retirement happening, and 
purely because they want to, people want to go and experience life now because the job of life is over. So now that we now we can experience the other side, definitely millennials, as you say, but I think there's also that other side. And, and ultimately, ultimately, you know, you can picture people saying, oh, that was a cool experience, no matter where they are in the spectrum of life. And uh, and so it, yeah. it's really cool. So Joe Pine, I think that's a good suggestion, a good recommendation. And by the way, good holding firm on not answering the question about what's the best, best book ever. <laughs> not only did you not answer the first question, you didn't answer the second question either. It was about, no, Rivers, I'm in control of this podcast. You aren't. <laughs> I love the book. Love the book. Well, Emily, from No Campfire Required, it's been just a great honor to have a chat with you. And uh, seriously, offline, I'll make that connection to the Fireside guys because I think it'd be a cool connection for you. Uh, But thank you so much for your time today. The best to you and your company. I know you're going to have great success going forward. And uh, thanks again for your time today. It's been been a real privilege. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a really fun conversation. Yeah, it has been fun. (laughs) Talk to you soon. Bye now. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Canada podcast, a show dedicated to unlocking the entrepreneurial potential of every entrepreneur with access to inspiring stories and tangible lessons to help you run your business. Want access to resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca for the latest startup community news and upcoming events like our popular hashtag Startup Chats on Twitter every Wednesday and Friday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Till next week, I'm Rivers Corbett leaving you with a sneak peek of next week's episode. Hi, my name is Robert Bruski, co-founder of Control V, and you are listening to the Startup Canada podcast. Um, you're the CFO of uh, Control V, uh, and you you oversee legal aspects of the company. Um, here's a here's a question that's that that is. I see a lot of startups doing this, and I personally say they shouldn't do it at the early early stage but you decided to incorporate control v even before you opened your first store what th- what made you decide that <laughs> well i mean so a, a lot of startups do it early on um for a few reasons i mean they have this this vision that this is going to be a worldwide epidemic with every different idea that they have so they want to protect it right away the other thing is they get a lot of mentorship influence that says make sure you cross your t's and dot all your i's and they're dealing with legal and accounting when they really should just be perfecting a product understanding their customers and getting to work like i cannot stress that enough forget all this other stuff get to work the reason why we jumped the gun is because uh, specifically at that point in, in our lives, we had had that experience with other different startups. We had done our market research, our testing, everything, but that was simply the next logical step. Then really the next step after incorporation was to purchase commercial versions of, of the hardware to uh, buy business insurance, everything that required a corporation. So. I mean, Rivers, it's it's mainly because we move so, so fast. It seems like it's early, but it was right in the appropriate timeline.